Welcome to the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. My name is Jeanette Cochran. I'm a pastor, women's leadership coach, and self-proclaimed Jesus feminist. I'm on a mission to inspire and equip women everywhere to own our voice, speak up, create, and lead wherever God calls. Because when women rise, everyone wins. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. In today's episode, I'm excited to bring a special guest to you, a fantastic, empowered Christian woman leader, Dr. Nicole Davis. Dr. Nicole Davis is an ordained pastor, a certified mediator, a conflict coach, a Christian life coach, and a United States Navy veteran. As a social science researcher, her areas of interest include gender inequality, organizational leadership, women's empowerment, and family dynamics. As you'll hear in the conversation today, Nicole didn't intentionally set out or desire to climb the ranks of leadership, but she couldn't avoid it because as she was just being herself, it became evident to others that she was an influencer. God gave her gifts of teaching and leadership, and she excelled in the Navy, in the marketplace, and in her churches. But eventually, she hit some roadblocks in the church, and like many women, had some painful experiences while just trying to be faithful to live out God's calling on her life. Those experiences and God's prompting led her to write the book, Eve, Where Are You? Confronting Toxic Practices Against the Advancement of Women. Nicole is also the co-founder of Empower to Engage, a mediation and coaching firm, and she has co-authored multiple books on marriage, parenting, and leadership. In my conversation with Nicole, we talk about the identity conflict that many women struggle with how gender equality contributes to strong and healthy marriages, and how we as women need to take responsibility to lead ourselves well, and that includes speaking up for ourselves when necessary. I felt so inspired and empowered by my conversation with Nicole, and I think you will too. So let's go. Here's Dr. Nicole Davis. Hello, Nicole, and welcome to the podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you on as my guest. You and I really just met recently, even just a few weeks ago. And as I was telling you previously, I read your book and one conversation with you, I realized our passions aligned so much. And I was so inspired uh, just by talking to you. And so I asked you right away, would you be on my podcast? I want to be able to share your wisdom and your story with my listeners. So thanks for being here today. Yes. Thank you so much. You know, as you were saying that, what came to mind, and this is genuine from the heart, it is something about meeting someone who is in alignment with what God is speaking to you. And it reminds me of Mary and Elizabeth. When they got together, God had spoken to both of them, had given them both a a unique, tailored, pre-designed purpose in life. And when they got together, 
they were able to affirm one another, encourage one another, support one another, and celebrate that they both were being used in God in very magnificent ways. And that's what this feels like. You find people who are in agreement with the direction that you're going in. And sometimes you're doing it, you're off to yourself somewhere, you know, trying to figure it out, you're being prayerful, but then you meet someone who can attest to what you have been going through. And that's exactly what this feels like. It's like, yes, I'm finding my sisters. I'm finding those who are going where I'm going. And it feels awesome. So yes, thank you. Oh, you're so right. What a perfect example. And just a reminder that, yeah, the Lord does bring us together. And many times it is a divine meeting. And uh, I do feel like that is the case with ours. And so why don't we start off though, uh, for those listening, tell them a little bit about yourself, what you do, your ministry, and just, yeah, who Nicole, Dr. Nicole Davis is. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, although I reside right now in Owings Mills, Maryland, I'm originally from Akron, Ohio. Uh, I'm a military veteran, very proud of that. Joined the Navy straight out of high school. That's where I met my husband. We've been married now for 31 years. Uh, We have two adult sons. I am a family mediator. I have a background in federal government. Um, I have my own mediation coaching and consulting firm. My husband has his own family law practice doing estate planning and um, family planning. Uh, I'm a social science researcher. As you said, I have a doctorate degree and that's in conflict analysis and resolution because my interest has always been the relational dynamics with people. And that's my background. That's, that's it in a nutshell. You've done a lot. and. Just a 30 second conversation with you. It's really clear that you are a leader. And so tell us a little bit about your leadership journey. When did you realize first, the first time that you were a leader, that you had leadership gifts? I love that question because it really requires me to think like, when did I first realize? I realized it when I went in the military. Although I had already, I'm a firstborn, uh, I'm the oldest of three daughters, and of course I had a lot of responsibility and I was doing things, but the reality, the realization of leadership hit me then. I was 18 years old when I went in the military, and although my purpose for going in was to give myself a chance at life, just to be able to travel, get an education, uh, to do the things that I wasn't able to do. That was my goal. But in boot camp, uh, there was a, a group of 73 women ages 18 to 34 years old. And in this group, we're from all over the place, all backgrounds. I was picked. I didn't volunteer. I was selected first to be over a small section, then over what we call the starboard side and the port watch side. That was The company was 73 women. So that was half of the women. Then I was over the entire company. And this was happening incrementally over like a couple of weeks. Every couple of weeks, they were calling me in the office and giving me additional responsibility. And I never wanted it. But they told me I didn't have a choice. They said, we're not asking you. (laughs) And so that's when I realized there is something on me. (laughs) What is it? 
that makes people want to put me in leadership positions. And that's where it began. The gifting that God placed in you was very evident. And I can see that just in our conversations, the, uh, not only the work that you've done, but just the inspiration and your ability to be able to see the big picture and to help others see that is so evident. So you are the author of this book, Eve, where are you confronting the toxic practices against the advancement of women? I've read the book. I loved it. And I think I told you this before. One of the reasons that I loved your book is you don't beat around the bush. I mean, even in the title, Confronting Toxic Practices, you don't beat around the bush. You present your case in a very Christian, grace-filled way, but you call it like it is. And you're calling out what is really happening and why this is problematic. Why did you write this book? And who would you say that it's for? Oh, so um, I never intended to write this book. I never had a passion per se for women. Uh, it was while I was working on my dis- my doctorate, I was interested in leadership. I was working for the federal government at the time. And during my studies, um, there was a conversation that I had with my son, just to give a little bit of that, um, when he was look, he was straight out of college and he was looking to join the church where we had been affiliated for a number of years. And he challenged me with some of the information he learned about the church. And one of the things was that women were not allowed to be in leadership. And so when he came home and we talked about what it had been like, like, so how did it go? He asked me about it and he wanted to know if dad, his dad and I were okay with the fact that we were attending a church that did not believe that women could be ordained in pastoral positions. They were leaders over ministries, but they could not be in an ordained position like pastor or elder. And so that, that then sparked my interest in studying about women. Uh, but it was all God, like that's a whole story. And so what that then did is have me write my dissertation, which I thought was going to be on leadership in the government, became leadership in the church. And my doctorate, the dissertation is entitled Women in Ministry, How Conflicts Between God's Purpose and Church Doctrine Impact the Efficacy of Female Church Leaders. And so that research and those interviews were so rich. There was so much information there that I realized there was no way I could just let this information sit in a book, in a library, on a bookshelf, which is what happens to most dissertations, that this was information that could change the trajectory of the church and change the individual lives of both the men and women who attended. And while I was thinking this, the the coach that I had that was working with me in my writing for the dissertation, he was not in the church. <laughs> he, he, uh, he did not know me. He said, you know, you need to write a book based on your dissertation. And I said, yeah, that's something I'm thinking about. But I'm telling you, Jeanette, it was something that was like in the future because 
doctorate degrees are grueling, like the research is grueling. And I thought that meant I would get a little reprieve and then I'd, I'd consider it. Well, no, it was immediate after, immediately after I completed the dissertation, graduated, that the Lord wanted me to start the writing of the book. And so I didn't have a title. I didn't have anything. I just had my research information and I knew I needed to make it palatable for the regular everyday lay person that this information could make sense for them and that they could see themselves and want to act, do something different based on what I was sharing with them. So that's why I wrote it. And I knew that uh, the church is in jeopardy. And that this information gives us another opportunity, another nudge to realize if we don't change the way we do service, the way we treat our women, the way we allow them to fully embrace who God has called them to be. If we don't change that, we're going to lose people. And there's research that supports it already. But that's why I wrote the book, because I needed women to realize who God has called them to be and how important and critical they are to the advancement of the kingdom. And that men, like here's an opportunity for a paradigm shift in how you think, because a lot of this was taught. They grew up feeling this way about women or they learned it in the church to really start thinking about why you believe the way you do. And is it working? Like to ask this critical question, does this work? Like look at your families and look at your churches. Mm -hmm. And then for pastors who really realize if they're gut level honest with themselves, you look at your church and do you believe it's where it could be if you completely unleashed every single person to be fully who they want to be and see what God does in that. So I wanted to give women an opportunity, men an opportunity, and those leading churches to be courageous enough to consider this information to make major changes. I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I do love your book. It's um, it's definitely written with sound theological exegesis, but it is also written at a layman's terms, meaning that you, you know you don't use all these flowery theological terms that the average person can't understand. You don't have to be a seminarian to to understand it. And good news for those who are listening, it's only a little more than a hundred pages, but it does get to the point and it really makes the case that you're, that you're um, stating. And yeah, I'm just so with you on what's at stake for us. I mean, the, the, the women in today's culture, we're raising our daughters, even most Christian men are raising their daughters to realize you need to get an education. You need to have a voice and recognizing that their daughters could do anything that they're gifted to do and they're in their corner. But for many of these women and girls, when they walk in the doors of their place of worship in their Christian church, that narrative changes and there is a ceiling and that ceiling is there simply because you are female. I love how you said, is it working? I think if men are honest and they have a heart that is in the right place, 
I think a lot of times that is when they start to explore, they realize, no, it actually isn't working. Mm -hmm. Unless you are one that really wants to hoard power and you are a very high, you know, hierarchical, very authoritarian, mm -hmm. and you believe that power should be in the hand of a select few and you're good with that, then most of the time you can see like, yeah, it doesn't really work. And, you know, in our churches, not only does it not work, it's so confusing because so many different Christian denominations and different churches have um, understood the scriptures in different ways. As women, right. you go into a new church, you have to figure out, okay, where is the line here in this church? If That's it's right. that clear in scripture, then it would seem like we would all be operating the same, but we're not. And so for, for us as women leaders, those of us who have leadership gifts, we have to really or even if you don't have a leadership gift, because sometimes women are, their voice is limited even beyond leadership. Sometimes just because mm -hmm. they're a woman in certain circles, they need to let the men speak and, and have someone else speak for them. Mm -hmm. yeah. And think about it, Jeanette, even as we women still grapple with this and we're raising our children who are now coming up in the church and they have their own questions and their own interests and desires. Had I not answered my son correctly, that fateful day that changed my life, it changed, it literally changed my life. There is a possibility we could have lost him. And, and I'm not being overly dramatic. Here's what I mean. When you think about young people who are trying to decide, like, do I want to be involved in the church? What is in this for me? Like, what can I get out of being there? And if being there when they have questions or they they want to get involved and that's stifled or we're not honest with them, because I take honesty very seriously. I respect we respect our sons and in respecting them, that means we have honest conversation. If I don't know, we'll say we don't know. But if they have a question, they're trying to figure it out. We owe it to them to take that journey with them so that they are validated in what they are thinking and feeling and not um, and not chided, you know, or reprimanded, just go along, you know, none of that, but allowing them to express it and then figuring out what this means for them so that they will embrace God, not religion, but God. And so when I told, when he asked me about that and I said, well, Jay, you know, we don't care. We don't, it, it doesn't matter to us. You know, we don't care if they don't agree because we know where we stand, but that wasn't enough. <laughs> that wasn't enough for him. Mm -hmm. It's like, if that's what you believe, then you need to stand in what you believe. And that was the journey we went on with this whole thing, which is where it is now today. And now he thinks I'm cool, you know, mom. <laughs> <laughs> And they love God. And that's what we also have to think about when we're not allowing ourselves um, to question, to challenge, to stand, to speak for what we know is right for us. I love the picture that you paint there, because in a sense, you're saying it's not OK or it's not the healthiest place to just sit in the conflict and say, well, um, well, we'll just, it's okay if they believe that and we believe something else. You really need to do the research. You really need to come to what is God showing you? What do you understand from scripture? 
And then in a loving way, obviously, we're not trying to, we want to do the best that we can to remain as one and play our part in bringing unity, but it doesn't mean that we have to be uh, uniform, that we all are going to be exactly alike. And so you, in the book, you point out about the fact that this particular issue oftentimes leaves a lot of women struggling with an identity conflict just because of that, because Mm -hmm. they've got all these things that they know about themselves and the questions that they're wondering, and then they've got what they're being told or what they've experienced in different churches, and it leaves women in an identity conflict. Can you say more about that? What is the, what has been your experience that uh, women are facing with this identity conflict and why does it matter? Oh, so first, when you just think about conflict, conflict, we have different um, reactions to conflict. Some of us are fine with it. Others of us run from it. And then there are more who ignore it. Like, it's, I'm going to just act like it's not there. When you look at Jesus and how he handled conflict, and that, I take all my cues from Jesus, you know, because we we always say, and it's true, that um, everything we want to do is in love. It's in love. Yes. But what does that really mean? Does that mean in love that I don't confront what you're doing? Because you're not going to always like me when I confront what you're doing. And because it doesn't always end up the way you want it to, doesn't mean that I'm not being nice. And nice is not necessarily the signpost that things are going well. Confronting and dealing with conflict is necessary. And Jesus showed up, showed that to us when there were things contrary to what God was wanting to do. Why? Because so much is at stake. So when you have women struggling with who they are, that means there's no clarity. I'm not sure. I'm doubting. I don't understand my role. I don't know my purpose. And this is in any environment. And if that is happening, confuse people do nothing. If I'm not clear, then I'm stuck. I'm stagnant. And who gets the glory out of that? The enemy. So as long as I stay in conflict with who I am, the enemy knows he doesn't have to worry about us making a difference anywhere. And he can leave us right there dealing with that and then go and rustle some more feathers or, you know, still kill and destroy somewhere else. So when you are not confident, You can't show up fully. You can't um, be used in the best way or utilized in the best way for the glory of God. And so without you, something is missing. And many of us are in an identity conflict because we just aren't sure who we are. And, And what is my role? What should I be doing? How do I have impact? How do I show my value? And that's so, it's so necessary for us to feel good about ourselves and to love life and to, to enjoy where we are. And why would you stay somewhere where that's not happening? Why would you continue like that? Is that love? That's a question. You are a conflict resolution coach, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's your area of expertise. Mm-hmm. And you're right. So often in Christian circles, we get confused about uh, what it means to love with what it means to speak my truth and 
especially when it comes to addressing things that are not working. That's very thought provoking. I think I'm going to have to have you back on at some point just to talk about conflict resolution, because I feel like in the church, we don't do this well. Like we either, we either tear one another apart or we don't do anything. So this, this walking the middle road where we can address it and we can disagree and we can keep working at it in love and really melding the two, the grace and love. We don't do this well in Christian circles. No. And it is a learned, it can be a learned behavior in how it is that you deal with conflict. You can train yourself to think differently about it and respond differently to it when it shows up. But it starts with who are you? identity. What do you think? How do you feel? And then beginning from there. So a lot of your work centers around strengthening families and you and your husband have a ministry together too with couples coaching. And it's interesting to me, I've never met another woman who is passionate and really doing work in the area of family and marriage, and also just as passionate and as vocal about gender equality. So tell me from your perspective, how does gender equality contribute to strong and healthy families? So Jeanette, you know, I didn't realize that I wasn't capable or shouldn't have something until I joined the church. I didn't grow up in church. So we were just men and women. Like we were always just men and women. As I went through school, the things that I wanted to do, I did. And the question of my gender never came up. I met my husband in the military and the military is all about aptitude. Like are you competent in doing this? Are you skilled in doing this? Like you choose your rates, your professions, your vocations based on your ability. There are, there's criteria um, and it's not necessarily gender. There are height criteria, weight, weight criteria. So for gender to become the sole reason that I cannot do something that was foreign to me. My husband didn't necessarily know it. He was raised in a single house, just like I was. His mom and dad were married, but his dad ended up leaving. My mom and dad were never married. And my father was in and out of my life. So his example was a strong woman. And he had also seen weak men. So he had already formulated his ideas and thoughts about who was there for him. The same with me. And it just happened to be that it was our mothers and not our fathers. Did we think about gender from that standpoint, like all men can't be good dads? Absolutely not. And see how silly that sounds? That's the same thing when we try to minimize what can be done by someone simply because of their gender. So here my husband and I are, we're both in the military. We're both working in intelligence. We both have dreams and aspirations. And so we chose to do this thing together. When we did that, 
that also came into the household. Now I do remember, um, and I don't know so much as it was gender as much as it may have been um, just what he thought, but I can remember when it came to the checkbook in the beginning, he felt like he should keep the checkbook. Well, he was very busy. Uh, I just remember this. He was very busy. We didn't have our youngest son at the time. And I was just in, I was in school. And so I had more time to manage the checkbook, pay the bills and all that. And he just thought he was supposed to do it. And so um, there was a time when he missed the light bill and the lights got turned off. And I was like, look, either you give me that checkbook (laughs) or we're going to have some problems here. We never had the conversation about well, because you're a woman, I don't think you can do math or (laughs) it was never that it was. I think he just thought that's what he was supposed to do. But because it wasn't working, remember, I asked the question, is it working? He gave up the checkbook and I've had the checkbook ever since. It's never been a question. It's never been a conversation. It was okay. you can do it. You have the time. You have the ability. So go ahead. So that equality has permeated our marriage. It's always, it's always been about, and I have, it's all men in my house. So it's always been about who can do what. I've taken out the trash before. I've, I've done yard work before. And so they've washed dishes and they've done laundry. Tony is the laundry person now. My husband, he does the laundry now. So it's always been a team. A partnership. How do we support each other? Because the the goals and the dreams and the aspirations we had before we got married didn't go away because we got married. We just had to figure out how we could both actualize those things now that we are married and we have to be considerate of one another. So gender equality was just in what are best practices to make our home work and to raise our children in a way where they know that we're both here and we both care. It's about gifting, not roles. And so much of the teaching in the evangelical Christian church anyway, has been about very tight gender roles. And I think I love the way you point out, and and sometimes it's not even that we're conscious of it. It's just like, oh, this is the way it's always been done. So we may bring a stereotype in. And the sad reality is in much of the way that scripture is sometimes handled these days, that's exactly what's happening. People are bringing their lens of what they thought, what they've always experienced to the scriptures. And so they're picking and choosing which ones they're focusing on and forgetting about all the others that really speak to the bigger picture of equality between men and women, and that that we should be serving in the areas of our gifts and our callings. Um, nowhere in scripture does it say <laughs> that God gives certain gifts to men and certain gifts to women. Mm-hmm. It's just that clear. And speaking of that, Jeanette, okay, so if we have these gender roles, and see, and this is where like, God also gave us common sense, and it would be so nice if common sense could prevail, even in these kinds of conversations, because Today's families, the men and the women are working. If we're truly going to be true to these gender roles, 
then no woman should be working outside of the home if that's what we think is how it should work. What do you mean taking her money to pay bills? Yes. That can't be right. Yeah. So, and, and, and we're trying to parse it out. Like here is where gender matters, but here it doesn't matter. Or we'll make concessions because it works for us in this arena. That's ridiculous. And until we challenge it, like I said, honey, this isn't working. Like somebody has to let the emperor know that he doesn't have any clothes on. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where we are right now. We have to pull back the covers and say, okay, these sheets are dirty. Like we got to, we've got to deal with this. We can't cover them up anymore. If we think about us as women leaders or for our listeners, the women in their lives. And I, and, and let me go beyond that, even beyond leaders, because not every woman has the gift of leadership. Right. So we're not suggesting that every woman needs to step up and rise to a level of leadership for some that's going to be really uncomfortable. And that's the last thing that they want being able to excel in the area of your gifts and your callings and having a voice is it's not just about being able to be a leader in the church. It's about, as you said, being able to be your truest self, whatever that is, without being limited because you are a female. How can we as women support one another? And maybe where do you see sometimes where we actually sabotage or or, or are part of the problem rather than coming together and collaborating to bring change and to support one another in our gifts and our callings? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. And um, before I answer that, I do want to touch on the the we're not all leaders, um, because you're absolutely right about that. And that's uh, a leadership that requires us to intentionally lead others, like to be in a position where we now have responsibility for people. I would say, though, that we are all called to lead ourselves. Yes. And we've, yes. we've, we're not doing that because of what people think about that or, you know, our fear of what someone will say. But women have to be willing to lead themselves. And that means to speak up for what matters to you, what hurts you, how something made you feel. If you felt disrespected or overlooked or marginalized, to let that be known because that's where you begin to discover you may be a leader <laughs> and, and not giving yourself an opportunity to know that because you won't first care for yourself. And if you have children, if you have siblings, coworkers, somebody is watching you. And so we lead by example. And that is not to be um, minimized because that also is helping people decide whether or not they want our God, Mm. how we live and how we're showing up. I'm so so glad that you pointed that out. Thank you for, for doing that. Because as you were talking, I'm like, you're right. In, in a lot of Christian teaching, there is this idea that we are told as women that once we get married, our husband is our leader as well. Like, so there's our husband is between us and in some situations, it really gets between us and, and God, like, and, and so 
that is where a lot of times abuse can happen. Mm -hmm. If you feel like, well, I just need to be the quiet and submissive wife and pray that he changes. I can't possibly speak up for myself. And, and so many women lose their agency into your Mm -hmm. point. Yes, that, that is a problem. We are called and we're going to give an, an account. I mean, the scriptures are clear about this, even though some I think some Christian teaching would try and say, no, our husband's going to give an account for us. No, the scripture is pretty clear that each person's going to give an account for themselves mm-hmm. and, and what we did. And so you make such a great point that maybe you're not feeling called to lead others, but how are you leading yourself? And that that's when we start to discover who we are. And if we even do have a calling to be leading others. Mm-hmm. And. That is why who you choose as your spouse is one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life. Mm -hmm. And it is not to be taken lightly. And when you hopefully you are going through counseling that you have not set a date yet, that this isn't counseling isn't just something you check off to say we did it and you already have the venue, you already have the invitations, you know, you're already planning for the wedding. Let this counseling be the determining factor of whether or not you should continue moving forward in your relationship, your life, his life, children, if you have them, have them are all products of that one decision. And that's where a lot of this happens not only in our choices for spouses, but in our choices for the churches that we join, for the friends that we have, for the networks that we're a part of. Are they speaking to us? And this goes to the question you asked about how can we support each other and ourselves? We need to be validated. Every person needs to know that wherever they are, they are celebrated and not just tolerated. Like your existence matters and we want to hear your voice. We want you to be a part of whatever we're doing. We want to acknowledge you. We want you to feel special. And when those things are not happening, this is where choice and agency, as you said, this is where it matters. That's why God gave it to us. The ability to choose, to make decisions. Because we have to look at situations, use our God-given abilities, our wisdom, our insight, our intellect, common sense to say, this is not in, in my best interest or in my family's best interest, or this man is not in my best interest. Bigger than, than who we're marrying, what we're doing, Jeanette, we have one life to live. God has called us here for a purpose. There is an assignment on every one of our lives. When he spoke us into existence, he said, and they will do this. You know, when you think about uh, even Jesus and John the Baptist, the angel came and told Elizabeth exactly what John would be doing because his life was ordained. Hmm. It's the same for us. He already knows why he sent us here. And it is our responsibility to tap into that, to figure out, God, what is the purpose for which you made me? What is it that you have me here doing? And 
all these choices we're making, churches, relationships, spouses, all speak to that to get us there because we matter as women. We've talked about a lot here and, and I could, I could talk to you for hours. (laughs) As we said, we both have the same passion and I want to ask you this last question as we get ready to wrap up as a Christian leader, what's one habit or routine, or maybe a couple that you engage in regularly to be a healthy Christian leader? Okay. So you said you want one or two. Can I give? You can give me two. Yep, please. (laughs) The first one that I think of is I eat healthy. Now, why is that important? Because food affects our energy levels, our mood. It affects our clarity of mind and our ability to be creative. So as a leader, if you are responsible for others, you need to show up. You need to come with your A game, like how God gave fresh manna every every day in the wilderness, fresh manna. They didn't have to use old manna. It was fresh every day. So how do I do that? I eat clean, I eat healthy, and that's protecting the temple, which then allows me to perform at an optimum level. Another thing I do is I know how to steadfastly say no and mean it. When I say no, I've considered whether or not this is good for me, um, if I agree with this, and then I can give an answer and stand on it. And if the answer is no, I have no problem saying no. I, while I care what people think, I don't care what people think. Dr. Nicole, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you if they want to know more about you or connect with you? Yeah, so if they want to know more, they can go to empowertoengage.com. That's the word empower, the word to, the word engage, altogether.com. That's where they can learn about our various services, or you can go to, and our resources, because we have other books as well that uh, Tony and I have written together, and they can go to uh, evewhereareyou.com if they want to know more specifically about the book that we've been talking about today, or they can email me at ndavis at empowertoengage.com. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being here today. I've just, I've loved the conversation and I hope you will come back. I do want to bring you back at some point because I feel like there are so many different topics we could talk about (laughs) and you have so much wisdom to share with us. Thank you. It'd be my pleasure. I'd love to. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Empowered Christian Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and share it with other women in your network. For more information about me and the work that I do, check out JeanetteCochran.com. And I'd love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social. You can find me on Facebook at Coach or Instagram at Jeanette.Cochran.